So like most people, I think have a probably poor understanding of what anarchy is. And it's probably in part because the government is telling them what anarchy is or is not. Could you perhaps describe what, what about it to you? Why do you think it would work? And what do people have wrong about it? Yeah. So I like to step back and define these terms, um, from their roots. Um, there's a lot of argument about that as well, but, uh, to the best of my understanding, anarchy uh, is from the Greek with the prefix and meaning none or without, uh, and archons or archos uh, meaning masters, so it means without masters. To me, that literally means freedom. Um, you'll see, uh, tossed around in the media, you'll see the word anarchy typically associated with people setting things on fire in the streets, right, right. Uh, things of that nature. There's another Greek term for that, uh, anomi, which means, again, without order. So these are very, very different things. So it's one thing to not have a master, and it's another thing to not have any order. Um, without masters is kind of a prerequisite for freedom. So I think that is a blanket term for freedom is anarchy. Um, without order, that can happen whether or not you have a master, right? So you can um, go off in the woods by yourself and live there and sort of just do things that don't make any sense, like you know, wake up in the morning, poke yourself in the arm, uh, jump off a cliff, break your leg. I mean, that's without order, right? So you don't have a master, but you also, you know, really living a, a productive and fruitful life, I guess. So um, to me, anarchy is just freedom. And it's that baseline, that blank slate that is like required for us to um, have any kind of amicable uh, order to begin with. So if it, if it's sort of like at the basis of all, well, how, how did it, how do governments come about in such that we now have this, you know, design of rules and law, which, you know, as we both, we know that people, just because they exist doesn't mean people follow them, but like, how do we evolve from this sort of, you know, tribal society or individualists where, uh, to where we now are in today where, you know, everything you do requires a bunch of paperwork. Like how do, how do we get there and yeah. why do you think? Yeah. So, um, I mean, it, it seems pretty logically consistent that, so back up a step. Um, for me, there's this baseline of anarchy or freedom, uh, which is that blank slate upon which we can kind of build everything. And then the framework with it within which to build all that is uh, a concept known by many names, um, depending on what culture you grew up in or what part of the world, uh, natural law, karmic law, the golden rule, um, all these notions of um, cause and effect. Um, so if you do something, there's going to be a consequence to that, uh, and understanding what that consequence might be, uh, is all part of natural law. Now, the way that governments kind of formed is that people had this, you know, they, they discovered this. So there's like a science to understanding natural law and people were discovering, okay, there's cause and effect to everything that we do. We should write that down. We should like codify that such that uh, we can teach it to our kids and so on and so forth. Um, and most major religions and philosophies across the world are based on this idea of, you know, do unto your neighbor as you'd like to unto yourself. Mm -hmm. Don't do unto your neighbor what you wouldn't like to unto yourself. Um, treat others as you'd like to be treated. You know, all these kind of notions are the same. Uh, if you kind of break them down to their most basic. And the problem is, is that as soon as you write that down, that's not actually a physical law anymore. That's a piece of paper that's been interpreted by one man who wrote it down. 
when I say man, I mean human, like, a, you know, it could be a man, could be a woman, but mankind writes right. this down. Um, and then in addition to that, the person that reads it, so the person that's written for whoever that might be, they have an interpretation. So it's already lost its original form. Exactly. You're, you're two steps removed from the, the physical law, the law and physical reality. So the actual cause and effect. Now, that doesn't mean don't do it, right? You know, we might want to, uh, for example, start a community and have some kind of conflict re resolution or what have you. And so there's nothing like inherently wrong with creating a, a structured rule set. The problem is, is that it, it's just, it's always an approximation at best. And then in, this is before you get into, you know, the corruption of that, right? So people wielding these paper tools, which is in, the, in this country, the United States, what, what we call a legal system, those tools can be wielded by those who understand the language that they're written in against those that don't, which is a very small amount of people against the broad populace. And so you could see how that could spool out of control really quickly. How, how, did, how did it get to that point? Like, where, how do we lose the common man's understanding of what these, you know, rules are that we're supposed to follow? Like, how did it become so corrupted? Because, the whole, I mean, the United States was only founded 250 years ago. And, but I guess if you, that's a lot of generations to reinterpret and reinterpret and reinterpret. But like, what is it about the complexities of it that, that just makes it so un, hard to, for normal people to understand? Um, I'm, I'm going to start at the beginning of that question. So kind of how did, how did this happen? Right. So again, we form a community. It makes sense that we want to codify, um, you know, the behavior that's kind of expected of all of us and something that we can teach our kids and so on and so forth. And you can see that people would start to kind of default to the people that organize that as a convenience, kind of like we do with like big tech and our software and stuff. Uh, people default that to that as a convenience. And then the sorts of people that uh, would be interested in maintaining that may also have ulterior motives. They may have a way that they want to shape the community that may not be in line with everybody else. And they can sort of realize quickly that if you rise to the top of whatever that system is, however you organize, uh, that you can have a lot more power over the rest than, than otherwise. And so it's difficult to keep a system distributed. It requires the constant vigilance of those who are involved, maybe not everybody, but at least you know, at a very minimum, 51%, I would say, but it could be more. Um, I'm just throwing that out there. But by any means, it can't be like, you know, so for example, our, the government in the United States is, you know, call it 600 people. Um, and then they have an army of bureaucrats call that 10,000 people or whatever. Um, there's no way that 10,000 people can possibly understand the wants and needs of 350 million sure. just doesn't work. And so the types of people who get attracted to those positions, again, are those that might seek power. And so without the constant vigilance of the 300 million, we end up with 10,000 who may or may not have the same kind of uh, goals as the, as the 300 million. Well, certainly even, I mean, there's multiple parties that, you know, just divide that down the line and we've got half one, one thing, half want the other, or at least disagree about how to get to the thing that they may be most sounds like what they all want is just power. Yeah. And splitting it in two is, is a very common, uh, divide and conquer tactic where you offer two solutions that are di diametrically opposed and then, you know, suggest that it must be one or the other. 
and and impose that artificial choice on people such that they're like oh well it's it's got to be this or this and they're, they're not really looking at the larger picture that it's either neither or it's both in in most instances um and then perhaps it's also not a particularly important issue when you kind of zoom out and and look at society on a whole do you think it's just as much the responsibility of the people to care about this stuff as it is to not allow that sort of power hungry structure to form or is it kind of like well you were apathetic so this is what naturally happens and and just you know in systems um <clears throat> well i don't see how else we can maintain order unless it's beginning at the individual level with personal responsibility and then extending that to family to neighborhoods to communities I don't see how we could possibly organize an orderly, fruitful society from the top down. That I think most of us, at least in the communities that we run in, would agree that central planning has not worked, and all these attempts to reiterate it, they honestly look worse than the previous attempts, which led to hundreds of millions of, of deaths. So I don't see any way other than personal responsibility to get to liberty. This. <laughs> This idea of like personal responsibility, I don't think a lot of people want. You, you, sure. It's hard. <laughs> Freedom ain't free. Right? Is, is that a conditioning that perhaps we've gotten to? Probably. I mean, certainly the education system is another one of these that's, um, if you're thinking about, okay, I've acquired a lot of resources. I have some positions in government that allow, you know, faithful or um, friendly regulation on the things that I want and not on the things I don't want. The next thing that you might start thinking about is like intergenerational plans, right? So if I want the next generation to think slightly differently, that's more favorable to me, then the first place that I go is their education system. And we have in the United States, again, is, is, is the framework I'm, I'm talking about here, but it probably applies to most places. We have this education system where kids go to a school, a, a, typically a public school, school funded by the government for whatever it is, six to eight hours a day during their formative years, the years in which their brain is formed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whatever you're inputting there is going to stick with those kids for the rest of their life. Uh, and so that's kind of the first place that you go is the education system if you want to affect across a longer scale. And so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had a horrible, you know, um, I don't want to say it was like a horrible education. Like I understood, um, a lot of like left brain activities like um, mathematics and stuff like that. I had a decent introduction to that. But what I didn't have was the ability to critically think. Mm -hmm. So we have this imported system uh, from from the Prussian system of, you know, you're broken into age groups, you, um, you do a certain class at a certain time, a bell rings, you go to the next one. Uh, there's a leader at the head of the class, you can't even go to the bathroom without raising your hand. <laughs> So it's like conditions you very early to obey authority mm -hmm. and not to think critically, but to uh, do this rote memorization. And so the people that do that well are sent up the so ranks rewarded yeah, for because it. they're like, oh, you're going to do what you're told. Right. And the people that do not do that, well, they get bad grades and they get, you know, consequently, potentially worse jobs and things of that nature. And they're kind of degraded throughout that process such that they think that they're lesser human beings mm -hmm. than those that paid attention. So it's a it's a pretty horrible psychological mind job that's been done on the 
on the species, at least in the Western world. Is this something that you think has existed throughout all governments over time, like Rome and, you know, you're uh, in England before the United States, or is this like a uniquely United, United States phenomenon? Yeah. Again, um, history can get murky cause we got to remember that it's written by the winners. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, but you know, to the best of my understanding, um, this has been around for thousands of years right. now. It's been during that thousands of years, they had all these opportunities to kind of perfect this notion, right? This idea of, okay, how do we, how do a few people orchestrate the masses and sort of the, you know, final goal, if you could imagine this, like, well, okay, we figured out that we live on this planet and there's, you know, a billion of us or whatever today, kind of the final goal is, okay, we need one organization that orchestrates that whole thing. Um, and we're not quite there yet, but you can see that that stuff's all being put together by competing factions who all would like to be at the head of that institution. But, but yeah, it definitely goes back at least to the Roman empire. Uh, and then you talk about like, um, central, this notion of central banking and, uh, printed money coming out of, um, uh, the Venetians in the 1400s and, um, Roman empire handing over sort of power to the church to kind of sort of pretend that they're not an empire anymore. <laughs> and you know, yeah, it all, it, it's all sifted through. That, so that point is interesting. Like, cause it's not, obviously this is a Bitcoin podcast. Like, what do you think the mon- the role of control of money has in allowing this conditioning to both form, but also to stay in power? Like you mentioned the education system, the government education system that they fund, they pay for. Is, I mean, is that a critical part of this power staying in place? Yeah, certainly. If you control the methods by which people freely exchange, um, that's a, that's a high degree of control as well. So there's education. Uh, and of course, if you have control over that, you can teach people either nothing about money, which is essentially what I learned in school. Um, or you can teach them, you know, this is what money is and it's this thing that I make. Um, and so gold was used as money for thousands and thousands of years. And as we we started to get this notion of the economy, which is kind of a nonsense idea in my opinion, because again, it's a central, it's this notion that you can have this one thing that you can centrally orchestrate, which I don't think you can. Because it's hundreds of millions of people's or at the global economy, billions billions of people's individual decisions. There's no, this idea of an economy is an abstract thought that, isn't really existent in the yeah and even when this notion came around like when the venetians discovered that you know people would put gold in their vaults and they could hand them a paper receipt and they noticed you know people were trading the receipts because of the convenience mm-hmm. um you know and i don't even know how malicious they were at that point they were just like well yeah that is convenient um and also we can print more of these and obviously that kind of snowballed into a big problem um which is the basis of our money today but um I don't really remember where I was going with that, but, uh, the, uh, the, um, the notion of like money as a system of control, if you, you know, dictate how people can exchange with each other, that's, you know, one step towards like how they can communicate with each other. So how they can, you know, defend one another. Like if you can control money, control quite a lot of things. So definitely, I think it's been, uh, you know, wielded in that way. 
especially recently. So we've got this control over money, control over what people understand about money and control over the methods in which they communicate. Whatever, what other sort of overreaches does this create from government entities, both, you know, local and worldwide over its people, which are really what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be just a collection of people. That's what a sovereign country is. Yeah. So I would say that um, the strategy has shifted over time. So for example, when the Roman empire kind of dissolved and the church became the power, the notion was that, you know, we, we, the church can talk to God on your behalf and you cannot talk to God. Right. So that was kind of disintermediating. Um, and the notion of, you know, we have these pieces of paper and we have all the gold and you exchange those pieces of paper. And if you want the real thing, you got to come through us. So there's always this notion that these things that people could actually do, uh, either peer to peer or in small, you know, kind of distributed systems. Uh, the notion is to become a third party in that to that such that you always, um, at minimum, you're taking a cut of whatever happens. So you're inserting yourself. Yeah, but more realistically, everything. you're actually controlling that that interaction entirely. Is this like, I mean, is this how we're, you know, we're in 2023 fall. Like, is this how we've gotten here? Is that the government's just control, basically inserted themselves in everything? Um, they're certainly trying to. I mean, the problem is, is that, again, this is all kind of voluntary. We, we, we're doing this as a notion of, but people don't view that. People don't view this as voluntary, no, right? Like I, you told told me about the like the TSA and like you don't have to go through this. Mm -hmm. People just they're under the illusion, like just like you mentioned a bit ago about the illusion of choice, even where it's like half this party, half this party, both might be the same. People are under the illusion that they don't even have a choice anymore. Yeah, <laughs> it's a total mind job. I mean, the, the this is this is the final kind of. Um, notion so you can build all these institutions right and you can say that we're in charge of um, finance and we're in charge of um you know your interactions with natural law and cause and effect we're the mediators of whether or not you're in harmony or not uh, we can um tell you what's uh, historically true and not through, through the education system but ultimately the kind of crown jewel of control is for someone to falsely believe a that they're free and B, that the person that they're following has their best interest at heart. And so this psychological um, kind of warfare is where we see ourselves now, especially with um, the advent of like instant, like light speed information and the ability to just shove stuff into people's minds almost 24 hours a day. Um, that realistically, actually 24 hours a day, when you think about um, the sensors and stuff that are in people's homes and um, this, like, for example, like artificial light. Um, while you're sleeping is not you know, probably not particularly healthy. Um, but again, if you insert yourself into um, systems of medicine and, uh, and health, then you can again kind of dictate, well, we're going to give money to this kind of research and not to this kind of research. And so, uh, and then, so people lean on this body of um, science, quote unquote, what they think is using this open scientific method of discovery but realistically, that too has been corrupted. Mm. And so even what people think is healthy for themselves or what people think uh, allows them to think critically, like that's all skewed, everything. I mean, what, what, like, are we, because I know we've talked before about like how you still remain like hopeful and optimistic. I mean, what, 
is 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 there is the reclaiming the money to which then reclaims the communication channels is like is that the path or is that almost like a naive attempt that over because this has been going on for thousands of years right like mm-hmm. do you think that perhaps like bitcoin for example just inserting itself uh as sort of outside of the purview of government control is that i mean i don't think it's the silver bullet but like do you think it's a step in the right direction like or is there a better route that we should take maybe around the money entirely yeah let's maybe circle back to that at the beginning you were asking about you know so my optimism is long term i'm pretty pessimistic in the short term like so far uh in this conversation we've kind of painted a pretty bleak picture right the education system the health system our monetary system um have all been you know co-opted at the least you know you could say we have at least um a reduced amount of power over those systems and and input and then furthermore because of the psychological nature of these kind of co-option co-options and i would call them attacks to be honest i think they're intentional at this point um because of that psychological aspect it's starting to seem like people are actually helping to propagate this and so that's pretty bleak. It doesn't look good in the short term. And I'm not going to like candy coat that. I don't think it's, it's, it's going to change very quickly. Now, the thing is, is that when you act out of harmony with this notion of cause and effect, when you do things that have negative repercussions upon you, um, you kind of have a couple of options. You can kind of do that until, you know, the worst happens, whatever you think that might be. If it's some kind of a physical thing, then probably death would be the worst possible if it's, um, you know, you you go a lot of ways with that. But, you know, when something's happening like that, that's kind of like out of line um, and causing these consequences upon you, there sort of has to be a time when you notice or you will perish. And so, like, if the species doesn't kind of collectively figure this out, they're not going to make it. Like, there's no guarantee that the species makes it. We have no kind of um, reason to believe that you know, we're more special than some other species that uh, has gone extinct in the past. Um, we're certainly, you know, we have a, uh, the higher cortex and all this stuff that um, suggests we've come a long way, but um, that's now being used against us by our own species. And so it's, it doesn't look good. But um, there's clearly uh, a very small minority, at least, um, maybe more, it's kind of hard to say, that at minimum, they kind of realize something's wrong and they're willing to make the effort to figure out what's wrong. And then uh, some continue even further to take action to correct what is wrong, at least for themselves or for their local communities. Um, And so I'm hopeful that that can survive uh, despite anything horrific that might happen in the near term. And so, you know, I don't know what that looks like. I don't even want to pretend to predict what that might be. But I do think in the longer term that people will discover either on their own or by teaching each other that when you act such that you understand the consequences of your actions, that you can actually kind of get into that habit and create that for yourself, your family, your community, uh, and build these places where uh, the alternative to what we see now is displayed and can be seen like, oh, okay, you can have order without government, you can have a fruitful society without central planning of the economy, education, so on and so forth. 
uh, and that maybe people will start to realize, okay, maybe there's a different way to do things than the way that we've been doing it right. for the last hundred years or whatever. Like an awakening sort of process. Yeah, you could call it that. I mean, and, and like the Bitcoin movement, I mean, I that's how I view it in that light is, is very much like people sort of getting out of the matrix in, in a way. And is it the, like, I think you'd said like the, it's, it's the sort of like you get, you get pushed far enough and you either make the decision to change and wake up or not. Like, is it the monetary aspect that attracts like the, that Bitcoiners find sort of this catalyst for awakening or, or I'm trying to understand like, what is it about the, the people who find a, a solution in Bitcoin? What is it about that, that, also has so much overlap with this level of like unplugging from the matrix and sort of, Oh, there's an alternative way. What, like, do you have any idea on why that is? And, um, I certainly wouldn't say that I know why that is, but I would say that it helps. That, What's your best guess? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it helps that Bitcoin is, well, there's a few things. So one, um, for example, a lot of the things that, that folks in these kind of, uh, communities, realize is that this paper that I use every day to exchange for the things that I need to live, um, like what's up with that? It's a little strange. I was never taught about it in school, uh, or I was taught very little about it. Right. Um, all these governments have different ones. Uh, they're valued differently. That doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like if money is just a proxy for other things, you would think that a piece of paper would be equal to another piece of paper. Um, and <laughs> it's think. just not. And like on top of that, it has all these weird symbols on it that, you know, we didn't really learn about in school. You know, we might recognize the buildings or something, but like, what is this stuff? Like, why is, why is all this stuff on here? Who created this? And why is that not in my history book? And so you kind of go down that path and you start learning about how modern money at least works. And then you're like, this kind of seems like a scam, right? Um, like the people closest to its creation, get first access to it. Uh, and you know, that's never going to trickle down. Um, and so seeing an alternative money that is at least at its creation was completely equal opportunity, meaning that anyone who had an internet access or had an internet connection, you know, could potentially use this thing. Um, I don't know if that's going to last forever, but in fact, it can't last forever, but at least it seemed better. Like you had instant access to the printing even of this money. And it wasn't really made by, you know, it was made by one guy, but the code was released instantly. And so you also mix in the open source movement here. So people that understand this notion of um, collaboratively building software instead of just keeping it in, in secret to a company. And then on top of all of that, you have the fact that at least more recently, it's become sort of self-incentivizing. So the more that you get into Bitcoin and the more that you get other people into Bitcoin, there's like a monetary reward for that mm -hmm. as well um, on a long enough time scale, theoretically. So it's like the reverse incentives is like you wind up kind of waking up because of the incentives are to do so because you feel such pain. And then this monetary system that's coming about is sort of the opposite where when you share it, you get rewarded in the, in the sense of like monetary gain and access closer to the, the Cantillion, the, the Cantillionaires who print the money mm -hmm. in the first place. 
I mean, is, so g- given that the this movement is sort of self-reinforcing, and I think in, in a lot of ways is diametrically opposed to government control or wants to, I mean, it doesn't have a want, it's a movement, but I think there's a shared value of like wanting to sort of remove government power in, a, in an essence, or at least dampen it. There's no way governments are going to embrace it, right? Well, we have a couple choices, right? So, and this is assuming they didn't make the thing in the first place. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> um, it's the I, I don't think we go down that rabbit hole, but yeah, you know, no. just uh, <laughs> leaving on the table that it's a possibility. Um, so they have a couple options. They can attempt to, like, ban this. They can say that that's bad and you can't use that, right? And I think there's a good chance that they realize that the cat's out of the bag. And so that's difficult to do. And so the other option is to co-opt it or to try to acquire all of it. I think that's everything else. Kind of like what happened with gold. Mm. Um, And I think that's the more likely approach. And when we're seeing like, um, you know, wall street's getting into this and it's not, it's not really, at least in the Western world, they've tried um, like in China, they've tried, uh, China and Russia, I think they've tried to kind of go the ban route. Um, you know, they're kind of used to, as central planners, they're kind of used to, well, we can just kind of hand down mandates. Um, but I think they're seeing this kind of get out of their grip as well. Uh, it's kind of like trying to ban the internet, which I think they know, they realize that they can't really do that either. And so they're trying to just kind of um, balkanize it, you know, wall parts of it off or have influence over the content or um, try to filter people into centralized services that they can then regulate. So social media and stuff like that. Um, So I think that's the more likely route. And I think it's a serious concern. I think it's not taken seriously enough by the Bitcoin movement. There's the kind of this notion like, oh, Wall Street's making ETFs, like we're winning. Right. You know, but most of the world doesn't have Bitcoin. This is not a victory yet. And they're not using it in the way it's intended with the self-custody aspect at the same time. I mean, even if we just had this notion of people getting some Bitcoin as a savings and a hedge against whatever their local currency is, we're not even close. Like optimistically, um, I, I, I just have educated guesses. I don't know what you would guess, but I would say it's less than a hundred million users. Oh, for sure. So that's a very, very small portion of, uh, the population. And if trillionaires suddenly start buying this up, even if we can manage to kind of onboard the rest of the world over the next decade or two or whatever, uh, they're going to be at a serious disadvantage. Like that early opportunity that was equal to everybody is no longer so equal. Mm -hmm. You know, you started at a time where um, someone with a CPU could mine 25, 50 Bitcoin at a time. I need a and warehouse. Now, yeah, now you need a warehouse to do the same. Um, so I'm I'm pretty concerned about that. But if nothing else, this is still, um, I'm going to say likely. I kind of believe that it's the best money that we've ever made, uh, and I continue to use it and promote it. Um, but I'm not convinced that it's the the last step in the evolution of decentralized money. So just because, if I'm summarizing correctly, like just because they can't maybe the governments realize they can't ban it doesn't mean it will succeed. 
Well, it's going to depend on your definition of success, right? So assuming that the move is to just co-opt this thing, uh, buy as much as possible, regulate the uh, centralized exchanges, which will all be very easy. Um, they've still got the majority of it, as far as we know, the majority of it is floating around amongst um, either individuals or uh, institutions that are not strictly under their umbrella. Um, and so they're going to have to deal with that problem eventually. Uh, and those people that have that already, they are also going to become, you know, super wealthy during the course of this kind of attempted co-op. Mm -hmm. uh, and so those are kind of, that's, uh, to me, that's a completely unforeseen future. Like, obviously, none of us know exactly what's going to happen. But to me, that turns into a very strange situation where you have, again, less than 5% of the planet, uh, instead of less than, you know, 0.1% of the planet having so all right. the trillions. Now right. it's suddenly it's 5%. It's like, okay, well, that that's progress. Uh, but I'm not convinced that we can't do better with some technology that we haven't considered or in invented yet. So succeed in my mind is taking the ability for the government to fund whatever they want at the expense of the citizens. So I don't think, yeah, there's no like a hundred percent seems a little far out, but sure. But I mean, let's, let's say we're aiming for 51%, right? At least we would have a majority of people, you know, voting with their dollars for lack of a better term that they don't want to use this government money anymore. And that's going to suddenly become unwanted at best. But the thing is, is if they can tell us, you know, or maybe not us, but if they can tell, you know, your average CNN Fox News watcher that um, the dollar's failing, look at look all around you. There's tent cities, the economy's in horrible shape. Huh. Uh, the dollar's been destroyed. We're going to blame corporations or whatever. Yeah. And we need to roll in a new kind of money. We're going to base it on carbon credits and Bitcoin and gold and whatever else you want to put into that basket. And it's way better. We're just starting the cycle all over again. In some exactly. Ways. Exactly. <laughs> and, and we're, and they're just, you know, using this new technology as a part of that, you know, same kind of structure. And so I don't, I don't really see a way out of that cycle immediately. Um, you know, well, I see one, but it's extremely far fetched. So anyone that listens to this next, next part is probably going to be like, well, that's just not happening. Um, and, that, and that's the notion of like, do we actually need money? So like money is, a proxy no matter what it is money is a proxy for something else it's a convenience to um you know you have this book uh and i don't have anything that you want and so we we need some kind of you know that's this notion of medium of exchange mm -hmm. um but if we kind of think about it pretty much everything is abundant like there's no reason that we couldn't just start running a gift economy in the ways that gift economies have worked in the past for other civilizations, of course, it's always smaller scale. How does that scale? How do we, um, how do we deal with people that don't want to like participate in that? It starts to sound like central planning again. So, right. Like that's the thing, like people, there's going to be bad actors that come about again and we're going to we'll stop be gifting because we'll, people stop trusting each other pretty soon. Right. So, yeah. So we have this notion of bad actors, right? So like, what does that mean? The, the way that I understand the human brain is programmable, right? So we, an infant comes into the world, they literally know nothing, they can uh, use their five senses. Um, and there's, are you familiar with the notion of the forbidden experiment? No, what's that? So this is the idea that you take 
uh, the reason it's forbidden is that it's completely unethical. Okay. It, it, the notion is that you take a bunch of infants and you just put them on a desert island, say, you know, uh, and just see what happens. Like, what would they do? Would they form governments? Would they this? Would they that? Um, presumably, they'd kind of do all the um, same things that we've done as a species for the last thousand years or whatever. Um, but like, if we can evolve and we can come to this idea that there might actually be better ways to conduct ourselves on a daily basis and in interactions with each other, understanding that everything that everyone needs is here. Uh, and it's just a problem of like distribution and, um, will and action. It's possible that we don't really need money it, per se. You know, you might still have some kind of, um, you know, tracking system, like notion of like understanding, uh, who's done what, but realistically, like there's, there's nothing like in my mind that says that we have to have that, that we couldn't just distribute things amongst ourselves without having to keep track of it. Uh, you know, with a, a unit of account or, uh, without having to have a proxy in exchange, in, you know, to exchange something like, uh, you'll see this in small friend groups where, um, you know, someone forgets their wallet. It's not a big deal. Like you, you right. don't have to like write down on a piece of paper, a contract, which is basically what a piece of money is, um, that says, you know, I paid for your dinner and you need to pay, you know, maybe you make a note of it. Maybe, maybe you don't, I don't know, but this, this is probably coming across as like convoluted and idealistic, but I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility. And I'd like to kind of put that notion out there such that people kind of start to consider like why we use money and, and whether or not we really need it. Do you, does this require like a moral a level of like moral population or like a virtuous sort of people? Yeah, it, it's prerequisite, right? You, you can't. Um, so there's this like Randian idea of, the individual being the only thing that's really important and that selfishness is good and that, um, you know, looking out for your best interests is the way that we, uh, prosper. Um, and I don't think that, I think that's like limited. I think that's half the story. Like, yeah, of course you have to take care of yourself, but if you don't take care of the person next to you, like we don't live in a place where we're the only things in control of our lives anymore, especially if you live in a city of any size, like, every the whole community is a unit like that's an individual right. that has to think of itself as well and so this notion of um individualism versus collectivism is another uh you know hegelian dialectic we can have that fight all day but when you think about it everything is is two sides everything is dual in nature and everything requires balance and so you have to both think about yourself as the individual and the place that you live and the people that are surrounding you um, and you choose, obviously, who you surround yourself with. Maybe that's your family. Maybe that's a, a, a city block. Maybe that's a rural community, whatever. But you're a part of that. Um, you almost certainly don't create all the things that you use in your daily life. Uh, and so I think that you have to realize that it's an interconnected world. Isn't, I mean, isn't that what the United States form of democracy is aimed? Like the whole checks and balances system? Like, isn't that the whole point of having local government, state government, federal government? They all have conflicting, maybe opposing uh, goals, which sort of keep each other in check. Like, I, it sounds like that's what we're describing in a way. But obviously, like, that's not the state of, of what it is today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was a good idea, right? How's it turned out? Um, so, like, maybe theoretically you could have a republic 
if everyone participates, you know, like, um, so Ben Franklin said that, you now have a Republic if you can keep it. Uh, <laughs> we haven't. Um, and so, it, you know, in that statement, he was literally telling, uh, someone that this isn't my responsibility. You know, I helped architect kind of a best approximation of what we thought might be a good way to organize, uh, on a, on a large scale. I, you know, I don't know how many people there were in the States at the time, maybe on the order of millions, I don't know, hundreds of thousands, I don't know, but um, enough that it was a big group of people and they, they were like, okay, we want to have uh, this regional control that belongs to the people that live there. And then we, we want a way to organize and communicate with the broader world because this is now a global society that we're a part of. Um, and I, you know, I don't have any answers to that, but I don't think that you can just kind of write these systems down on paper and then just them work. Just, it doesn't work like that. So, you know, isn't that sort of how Bitcoin's going though? Like the white paper laid out, I guess maybe not like the white paper didn't have all the rules of Bitcoin today, but am I, am I thinking of of this? I'm like, it was a a vision that has sort of self actualized it's into existence in a way where we now have a set of rules that people follow that it's opt in. Yeah. So I, I would argue that that is better. So we have the system where, um, one person came up with an idea or the NSA or whoever it was, doesn't really matter. <laughs> the NSA. Some, some small group or one person came up with this, this notion. Um, and it was pretty imperfect, right? It wasn't like, um, you know, the, the code in particular wasn't, there was nothing perfect about it. We're obviously still working on it. And it's right. still early. Um, yeah. but you had this notion that sprung up this idea, wherever it comes from. Uh, and then you had the participants or th- these people that were uninvolved. There was no Bitcoin company. There was no Bitcoin foundation uh, when this first started that said, we're going to now structure this out. People came to this idea and they said, we want to use that. We see value in this and we're going to build it. And now, you know, there's computers in this house that are helping run that network because I voluntarily, right. I, you know, it's right in the name, right? I volunteered my uh, time and resources to figure out how to help run this network. I'm not interested in helping the United States government. Now I might be more interested in something regional. Um, and that regional group might start to say, well, we need to be in communication with this other regional group. You know, how does that work? I don't know, but you can't, I don't see it ever working where you have uh, a few people get together, you know, in the middle of one place and say, uh, th- we're going to dictate the rules of for the hundreds of millions and they're going to have to conform to that. I don't see that working. I think that, um, and, and kind of what I'm getting at here is that instead of the white paper, just think about this as the system of natural laws that exist in physical reality. If we, as a people decide that we're going to adhere to the rules of cause and effect, which exist, whether we like it or not, uh, then we can probably figure out how to have a distributed society that doesn't really, that can stay interconnected, that can stay in communication and in, uh, and in trade with each other, uh, without, um, without these, uh, centralized systems that inevitably corrupt, uh, forming and, or if they do pop up that they can quickly be quelled. So it's like, it's the technology you mentioned earlier, like the, the spread of in, instant information, like technology allowed for what we, I think agree that at least the may not be perfect money, but it's the best form that we have today. Technology allowed for these 
sort of trade-offs that have existed amongst different types of monies over time to be solved. I wonder if technology is also hampering that ability to have credit. You know, it's obviously helping in some ways because people are like, we can spread information and say, hey, did you know that there's you, there, you have another option that you didn't even know about? But at the same time, isn't it also like allowing for the government to clamp down more and more and surveil you? And so you it, it sort of get a It's this game of like cat and mouse where it's like uh, never solved. Yeah, I mean, um, technology are just tools, right? I think it's, um, I don't know the dictionary definition, but I think I've previously described it as the science of craft. So it's the way of sorting out how to do whatever it is that you're trying to do. Um, and that's neutral, right? There's no, when a tool is built, it can be used by whoever wields that tool however they want. Right, like a hammer can build a house or break a hand, yeah, depending on exactly. how you swing it. Exactly. So um, what was the original question? Like, is technology, I mean, do, I guess, do you think, like, technology is a, sounds like you think it's a more of a neutral force, but I was wondering, like, is that is that helping to the furthering of society in such that people are waking up, or is the government overreach with the tools of technology making things worse it sounds like maybe you think they're it's kind of balanced out well uh no unfortunately it's not balanced out right because so when when bitcoin was created completely neutral and i think that the community that was drawn to it uh up until recently even uh was wielding it as a tool for freedom um but again where we have this system where real education, the ability to really think critically uh, and have um, skills that can assist you to better understand the world has been centralized as well, right? So the, the, the group of people that are able to most quickly understand a new technology, especially, are the ones that have built this, you know, prison system, exactly, or, or you know, for lack of a better term. Um, and so when they say that, see this tool springing up, they might think, well, what can we use that for if we can't banish it from the minds of the people? So that's why it's only going to go from 0.1% to maybe 5% uh, well, is better. So again, so they have, they have this, they, they understand this technology, right? And they, they, they say they that they're going to, they're going to wield it. They could even tell, everybody that they're going to do this and it would still require action on those 95% or whoever's left to have the care and then the willpower to actually decide that they're going to use this or something else it doesn't matter but uh, if you don't first recognize that there's a problem you're not going to act on that problem mm -hmm. and if you don't act on the problem then the people that are acting are going to create the state of things uh i had written here as a kind of like a prompt uh, John Adams, one of the founding fathers, had a quote. He said, liberty cannot be preserved without a general knowledge among the people who have a right, but also a desire to know. And so the, I think what you said there just made me think of that quote that I had written here is that just because it's there doesn't mean people are going to care. And it. So it almost, uh, is it education then that really is where it starts? 
because that's where your values are. I mean, I feel like we keep going back in circle, but that's that maybe that's why we're stuck as a society because it almost feels like fix the money, fix the world. But then actually like you don't care about fixing the money unless you fix the education system. But then the, the money is what controls the education system. And we just keep going in this loop. Like, yeah, this keeps <laughs> me up at night. This is, is the, the desire portion, especially right. Because currently if you look at what we have in the world. The reason that we have that is that that was desired. So we have asked to have a convenient um, society that we have no control over. And the people that, um, you know, put themselves in positions over this are more than happy to increase those thoughts in your head. Mm. This will be as convenient as it can possibly be. You won't even need a car. You can just get to everything from your pod in, you know, two floors or up and down the building, or maybe you go next door because you have to visit a separate building or something. Why would you need to travel? And if you don't need to travel, you don't need to see what other people are doing. And if we control the communications to that building because your entire life is understood or your entire, your entire framework for the world is understood through that fiber optic cable, and we start to influence what's coming over that fiber optic cable, you're not going to know what these people over here are doing. Right. So the more people choose convenience over freedom because it's more comfortable, the more enslaved they will be. And this is the direction we've been headed. Um, you know, and there's always been, I think this is a fight that's gone on through throughout history, human history. The problem is, is that we're getting to a point with technology where it is for the first time, perhaps possible for a small group to potentially wield control, um, over the planet. And to be clear, I don't actually think that some small group currently controls the planet. I think the world is like generally without um, any specific direction. What these small groups of people, and there's several of them, and they have names and addresses, and we can point to them. So this isn't even shadowy groups that we don't know anything about, right? We're pretty well aware of these organizations. Uh, and they have buildings with their names on them. They're not even hiding anymore. Um, these organizations are, to the best of my understanding, and logically makes sense that they would be competing uh, and that they want to, you know, create these systems that would allow them to manipulate the entire world. Um, but I don't think they're there yet. And so there's still a chance to prevent that. And even if they were to, to accomplish that, we could still tear it out. I, big kind of um, believer in human ingenuity and ability to um, affect their reality however they want to. But again, without the desire, without the willpower, and then followed up by, you can't just, so you have to formulate an idea in your mind, which comes from caring about it from your heart. And then you have to use your guts to actually do something. Do something. If you don't do all three of those things, there will not be a free world. And currently the direction that I see is that we are choosing not to do that, but we can change that at any time. And a lot of people are putting their life's energy into doing that. Right. And the other thing that I see that is on a more positive note is that um, one person exerting that positive change on the world around them is is far going to outshine the one person that wants to try to exert control over others instead of improving themselves and leading by example. What do you, what do you think of, of it is about that 
conscious decision that people make that spreads more easily than the control? That's a good question. I don't think I have an answer to that. Um, and it may not even be true. That's, that's, that's my experience. Like if, so for example, you have, um, a room of people who are, uh, deep in, um, uh, you know, deep in some, uh, sour mood about something, uh, you know, and you've probably witnessed this. A lot of people can kind of think of some kind of a similar story. One person can come in and, um, either know nothing about the situation and instantly improve it or, uh, feel the room out, understand what they're going through and instantly improve it. So now you could argue, maybe it could go the other way. Um, I don't think it does. It's just not my, it's not been my experience, but I can't explain that phenomena. And it's something that I would have to probably think about quite a bit. I'll, I'll have a go at trying to answer my own question. I think like it's because positivity or good nature is our more default state i think people are generally good i think life and earth is generally good i mean it it can be naive to try to assign like a good or bad uh, definition to things in some ways because maybe things are just are more than good or bad but i think the there's a level of like encouragement and positivity and not allowing the like people want to feel empowered they don't want to feel disempowered as much as they might be feeling trapped or or ignorant of that the fact they even are trapped in it i think there's an innate desire in people to want to feel free to want to feel relief of whatever they're holding on to and and so so maybe that is why this you know small bright light has such a much bigger ripple effect uh and why it spreads rather than like you know, harsh control over people. And because people naturally want to embrace that level of uh, hopeful thinking. I mean, even yourself, like we, this podcast has been like extremely uh, depressing and pessimistic so far, but, but yet you remain long-term optimistic and hopeful. Yeah. Because I don't think it's, um, well, I, I do and don't think that it's a lot of hard work to get to this type of mentality global mentality that i'm talking about it is a lot of work but it's not as hard as maybe um it's certainly not as hard as trying to exert control over others right Mm -hmm. which is almost i don't want to say it's almost impossible because a lot of people are kind of falling into that without their consent it is impossible i think that's what kind of keeps me hopeful is that there are plenty of places where people are like i'm not going to do x y and z that you're telling me to do and i will die before i do mm-hmm. and so you know there's no you can't enslave someone that is not under any circumstances going to be enslaved um it, you're just going to be left with a corpse and guess what you have to clean that up now because there's no one around to do it for you and so i think um i i, I tend to be kind of dualist in nature i think everything's got a, a an equal and opposite um, and I also think that, um, strangely that the, this idea of creation, um, I don't know, it's, it's like more powerful in this kind of physical plane because 
everything that's created is eventually destroyed, but uh, attempting to destroy something prematurely to me seems like not possible, mm. I guess, because that, that would be out of balance in the other direction. So um, being creative while we're here, whatever that means, um, until your eventual demise and then whatever happens after that, to me seems like the sort of natural order because yeah. you're going through the creative flow or going through the creative arc uh, throughout your life and then your life ending. That is the natural destruction of whatever you've done. And the thing is, is that that typically that's that creation is going to live on. Um, whereas people tend not to think so much about the guy that, uh, that ruined the party that one day. And, uh, you know, a big foundational book in my life is the Tao Te Ching. And it, so many of the things that you just said, I was, I was thinking about as like, there's a line in the book that talks about things that are controlled by force may, you know, last for a little while, but they soon wither away. Uh, and that trying to control situations, we, we lead, leads to ruin, uh, because they're not attuned to the, I mean, the, the, the Tao is the book of the way, the way is what it says. And I'm, <laughs> haven't really figured out what that way is, but I think we're in a, in a way talking about it already is that this sort of element of letting things go their own way organically is maybe the closest right. And that trying to interfere control is almost inevitably cannot last, but yet we keep we keep cycling through this over generations of like governments are built up ways of organization are created. They're destroyed because people take force. And is this like cycle of like death and rebirth, not just within lifespans, like actual physical, but like ideas even right. Like Neil, Howe talks about this in the fourth turning. Like it's like, you know, you can't avoid it. It's almost like it's the natural order for, Things to fall apart, be born anew. People forget they're born anew, get complacent. Things fall apart again. Yeah, I mean, so again, the, the reason for the short-term pessimism is I think that people are eager to take the conveniences and trade a little bit of a freedom, not realizing what that is because they may not have any kind of background in it. And then there will be a point where suddenly they realize that not only are they not free, but that that freedom that they gave up is more important than their life itself. Because it's bigger than them in a way. Yeah. yeah, that too. And and so that's why I'm short-term pessimistic because I think it might, unfortunately, just from what I've seen in my short lifetime, the, what I've seen is that we are collectively, the royal we are, um, are taking that convenience, especially with the modern technology, um, without thought to what that's creating, that is going to be created, that um, lack of freedom be created. Um, and then it's going to take waking up one day and realizing what a mess it is for people to start to, you know, maybe care more and, and act on it. Do you think there's even a way to like, just given that like, is there even a way to circumvent that process or are we just doomed to have to feel the pain and have to, I mean, I get why you're short-term pessimistic because I think I almost agree if this is how you feel like we sort of have to go through this 
pessimistic period for people to wake up and that there's as much as I would like for us to, you know, skim over this all destruction and sort of lack of freedom that may be getting worse and worse. Like, I'm, I don't know, is that not maybe an element for the change to come about? And is there any other way to? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think to this, do I mean, it's hard to say, right? I, I don't logically think that this cycle, this progression has to happen. I think that we could break out of it. And maybe that's the whole point of being here. And maybe when we break out of it, the whole thing just disintegrates and it turns out, you know, that this is a computer or, um, that, you know, we get to go to the next level or whatever your which starts it all over again, (laughs) whatever your thoughts about that, or maybe it's something, maybe it's a whole different game, but logically it doesn't seem that this is inevitable. It seems that if people have the care and the, and put their will behind it, that we can make this place, whatever we want. Um, and the best way to, the, the thing is, is that you can do that for yourself. The question becomes is like, how do you, um, how do you help to create this on a, how do you scale this right without controlling other people? And so that's the way that I live my life to try and remedy that is that I can only, I can only affect myself. I only really control myself, but I can, um, show what I've learned and hope that people will, you know, they're not agree, going to agree with everything that I say, everything that I do, but hope that the best parts of whatever I do, um, people can notice and, uh, incorporate into their own lives if they see that same value. So like leading by example is the only mm-hmm. thing I can think of Being to, that bright spot. Yeah. And it's like, um, this notion of, um, exiting and building something new and being able to point to it and say, check this out. And again, we have the same tools that everybody else has, uh, generally. Um, so we can broadcast in similar ways. Now we have to attract these audiences and stuff that, you know, we're starting at a disadvantage, but everybody likes an underdog. I think a lot of people realize, even if it's just subconsciously that there are better ways to live Mm -hmm. uh, as a, as a global species, not maybe an individual having a great life, but globally, I think we can all agree that there are problems and that those problems generally have solutions. And that (laughs) as a result, this thing we call the economy and the global order are not doing what they purport to do. So maybe it's time to try something else. And the hardest part is to realize that it's our responsibility. What, uh, how do you, like, what is something that people can do to sort of, I mean, cause we've been talking about like, it's not just the awareness, but the doing aspect too, that requires like the follow through, like, most people, I think, aren't in the place where they can maybe share or relate to some of the knowledge that you have in that way. Like, because there's several other pre prerequisites that they have to get through first to to get to the point where, oh, maybe government's not essential, or maybe money's not essential. So, is there any sort of like critical point in the early stages, I guess, of waking up, for lack of a better term, that you think are critical or that are that are most obvious that people can focus on to sort of, um, put themselves down this path in a more intentional way? Yeah. So certainly, um, the way, the way that, that I kind of understood that question, it kind of insinuates that there's this path and that everybody, um, you know, starts at the beginning of the path and and they have to go a certain direction and not deviate. Um, 
obviously everyone's path is a little different. Sure. Um, so say the last part of the question again. Like if someone is, you know, trapped in the matrix and is not. Oh, right. The, the, like, the like, keys to like coming to this notion that we're responsible for everything around us and then that we have to actually go out and create it. So, I mean, I think the most critical parts of, I guess, consciousness, as far as I understand it in this realm, would be like to understand natural law, to understand that not only are there physical laws that govern everything that we know of as far as like, you know, currently I don't know how to put my hand through this table. If I jump, I'm, you know, almost certainly going to come back down to the ground. Just this like natural law. Yeah. So to. just like those are physical laws, our behavior is also governed by physical laws. And that's what I, I call natural, natural law, law. Okay. You know, universal law, karmic law has lots, right. of, lots of names to realize that every action that we take has a reaction. And this is not a foreign notion to anybody. A child can understand this. And we teach our children. This is what's really bizarre is that we teach our kids the golden rule. We teach our kids to respect each other. And then as they get a little bit older, we tell them, well, it's actually okay for some people to be more equal than others, hmm. for some people to be able to tell other people what to do. Um, and so anyway, where I was going with that is to be able to understand, you know, the notion of cause and effect and the consequences of your actions would be one key point. If you really understand that every little thing that you do has a consequence and then to understand that consequence and it might happen by, you know, um, for most of us, you know, myself, especially that's going to come from failing a lot. Uh, and, and you have to use failure as a lesson instead of using it as a, or, or feeling it as a, um, as an oppression. Um, and then the other thing would be to understand, uh, maybe, maybe in corp, maybe these are kind of similar ideas, but to understand yourself and to understand like the way that you communicate with other people, the effects that you have, um, the reactions that you have to other people who, you know, likely have the same problems and concerns as you. Um, and a lot of people will call this like shadow work. So understanding yourself, because if you understand yourself, then you can understand everyone else because we're ultimately, you know, very similar. Uh, we're all made of the same stuff, for example. I wonder if, is this like, because most people like to tie it back into what we opened the episode with about anarchy. And I mean, is there a level of connection that people have to feel to each other in order to honor this karmic law and natural law? And is that the only way that anarchy succeeds is if people wake up to this sort of different perspective or paradigm of reality that we are sort of interconnected? Yeah. I mean, even from the most individualist perspective, um, one would say that their freedom generally, generally one would say that their freedom, um, ends where someone else, someone else's begins or their ability to do what they want, um, is pretty broad, but as soon as it infringes on what someone else can do, then that's kind of the end of that. And so that basic idea, I think is pretty easy to grasp and pretty easy to kind of implement in your life. How do you know when you're, is there some indicators that I'm maybe like overstepping on other people's freedoms. Is there some, some realizations that you might have internally? Um, 
so certainly if you try to impose anytime you try to impose your will on someone else and this can you know there can this can get to be kind of fuzzy and gray and uh more obvious in some cases than others but as soon as you are attempting to impose your will on someone else and that might include through like so most commonly um in any given day a lot of us may possibly even without thinking about it or intending to deceive somebody right so we might um a an example this isn't popping into my head right now but we could you we could be using language that we don't really understand is um subtly manipulating a conversation unless we really reflect on the way that we use words does that make sense I think it's like it's just like the implicit biases that we aren't even aware of. Yeah, and potentially the we're not aware of every everything that we're doing. Most things. Most things. Yeah. Huh. It's like I would argue that the subconscious is vastly deeper Run than the show. Than the, yeah, and and so I mean, even if you think about the physical senses, like the what the brain you know processes is a very small um, fraction of the sensory input that we actually this is what makes me wonder about the long-term viability of anarchy because we aren't even aware of most of the stuff we do and so inevitably people who aren't in tune with their higher self let's call it just for like are going to wind up popping up again can capitalizing on others forgiveness or virtue or but they can't do that if the people understand, if, if their tar- intended target understands what they're doing and the way to understand what they're doing is to understand how you operate because you can then understand, oh, okay, without realizing it, it's possible for me to attempt to exert influence over someone uh, who is not um, voluntarily seeking my advice. for you. So, um, Well, I I got derailed there. I don't know where I was going with that, but do you, I mean, like, isn't that what's happening on a larger scale? Is like the government keeps citizens in the dark so that they're not aware of the options that they. Yes and no, right? I mean, certainly, have. certainly that benefits them, but it's it's a voluntary thing to pay attention to what they have to say. Mm-hmm. You know, again, we're talking about ten. But then we're people. not aware of. Maybe we aren't voluntarily paying attention to it. We're not even aware of most of the things we do. Sure. So I remember where I was going now. So let's let's think about the word consciousness for a second, because that's a very like etheric term that gets thrown around quite not a bit. Not Ethereum. Different. Not not not, not Ethereum. <laughs> um, out in the ether. Uh, so let's break that word down. Con is this is from Latin, I think. It's uh, with or together, and then the. Right. the sh- consciousness that uh, is based in the term schiere which is where we also get the term science and this just means to know so consciousness literally means to know together this means that we as mm-hmm. a group have decided you know we, we we take the conscious effort to understand the world around us together that's what consciousness means um to me if no one else if like that definition or you don't agree with the root terms or whatever but that's how i think about the world is that we are attempting to discover together so this is again kind of shatters the notion of an individual being able to be conscious right that just doesn't jive with the with the notion 
we are trying to know together this whole place. And so the more we do that, we, you know, hopefully I like to think we are evolving into this shared knowledge. So there's this idea of, um, I always mix up the, the name of this phenomenon, but the hundred monkey problem, is this the one where can't remember more than a hundred people, hundred people's names or no, this is like, um, I don't even want to name this cause I'm sure I'm getting sure. the name wrong, but there's this notion that, uh, a lot of times inventions will pop up in multiple places around the world, um, with no knowledge of each other. Okay. Right. So as we kind of collectively discover things or, or what I'm saying is that we are collectively discovering things even if we're not even in direct communication with each other. And the notion that I was trying to get at, which I think is not called the 100 monkey, monkey problem, I think it's called something else. Uh, the notion is that once some amount of people learn something, uh, it is either very easily uh, taught or passed along, or some people even think that it just becomes a part of the hive mind, such that this is like, it's like a software upgrade. You're just downloading it from the rest of the species. Hmm. Because we really don't understand, you know, we're all telepathic and like the brain is both a receiver and a transmitter. Hmm. Brain rate, brain waves leave the, the head. We right? just, so we don't think about that. We don't, you know, we don't think about this. And, and yet we all experience it, right? So if you walk into a room and everyone in that room was just talking about you, mm. you kind of might have a sense that that just happening. And you might is, not even know like what's it, what you might not know that what, what that's what that is. But when you walk in and like, suddenly someone is like changing the subject and you know, you can just kind of feel these things or like the mother's instinct where uh, a a child gets in a, uh, an accident thousands of miles away. And the mother's like, I just feel like I need to call my kid right now. Or, or even like what we were talking about a bit ago, where it's like, if there's a room full of people who let's say they're in a funk or bad mood, there's a negative state. And then that, that one person who's in a positive man has that ability to ripple effects because they're, they're transmitting that positive energy yeah, because they have that higher they're coming in with a higher frequency right uh and just like sort of overriding that that idea that there's no individual consciousness but just a collective consciousness is interesting uh because we 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 very much like identify with i me individuals right our identity and what's interesting what i'm thinking about is like you know, Bitcoin in a way like taps into that level of like selfishness incentives, but to almost bring about a better collective consciousness, a better awareness. Um, this, you know, I have to sit and think about that for a bit. Yeah, so again, I believe there to be a dual nature to that, right? So we have this collective um, mind, mind mindset I mean, bees have a hive mind right like sure yeah and I, i'm sure this and and bees are also a part of that larger hive mind right. too right like so you Which know is, if we're putting yeah. up cell towers and affecting their ability to navigate around the world and pollinate you know plants that we eat you know Turtles everything is inter- interconnected yeah um but there is the the polar opposite of that that i am individuated in some way from all of that and it's like, it, it's hard to hold that notion that you're both connected to everything else and, an and individual. yet individual. 
And that also keeps me up at night. Like so sometimes you can't kind of logic through this. It doesn't really make sense. Right. And so that also kind of is, is difficult for me to think about, but I also don't see how it could be anything else. I, th- I think about this a lot too, where like the mind is in, in some ways just pure madness because it's trying to put everything in a def- definition in a way or like solve or figure this thing, a thing out that maybe is by its nature not supposed to have a singular answer because it's a, a dualistic thing where it's like you are both the individual and the collective consciousness and you go, well it's got to be one or the other but maybe it's both. yeah or we're walking <laughs> through the woods and um we have this obsession with you know that's a red crested sparrow and that tree is a blah blah you know we, we're naming everything and it's like as if that's what it is right like the bird has no idea what that's what bit, you call it right uh, it, and it doesn't care it's going to continue eating seeds and laying eggs and and so on and so forth so like yeah it's a weird um it, it it's a weird thing that we we both kind of feel like we need um to label everything and be able to structure the world and that that's very useful or especially like acting uh, and and creating things in the physical world but at the same time accepting what is in the physical world and not trying to impose we think about it on on top i was listening to an audiobook that this guy interviewed one of the astronauts who walked on the moon if you believe the moon landing occurred and he said that from it changed his whole life that from the moment he looked back at earth and saw this is like the size of a quarter in his view it changed everything because he realized that it is just one big collective consciousness from the birds to the trees, to the everything, every history leader to every individual that's ever went through anything. It's all one part of this tiny little dot that is just one dot of, you know, infinite dots that you can see around you. Uh, which makes me, it just makes me think like that must be the, the, the truth, I guess. but. Like that, the, the the more fundamental truth is that it is all one, one thing, um, which is not surprising why co- collective uh, forms of organization like governments <laughs> wind up coming about in a way. It's like, well, sure, because like there's a desire to try to balance this individualism with larger forms of organization all the way up to, you know, the cosmos itself. Um, it's not really a question. I'm just sort of yeah, reflecting so, on I mean, uh, ostensibly we have this rock that we all sit on and everyone that we've ever known and everything that we've ever experienced has happened here. Uh, and theoretically, it's the only one and there are uncountable other rocks that we don't know anything about and that can make you feel very small. But on the other hand, it's like, well, this is a place where you've known countless people potentially and had countless experiences. And like, so that's both, you know, insignificant and <laughs> very all significant, the significance all at the same time. There back to like the duality. Like that's why, so I, I feel like there's a lot of people who probably stay up at night. The more you sort of, 
tune into this awareness of duality that things aren't just black and white as they seem, but maybe are a gray because they are both one and the same. It, it's like, ooh, the, the ways that I have developed of thinking about the world maybe are dysfunctional or the things that I was so sure about, maybe I'm not sure about them at all. Um, yeah, you can get into an existential crisis really quickly. I mean, how, how have you avoided that? Or you <laughs> said I've avoided that. <laughs> yeah, maybe, um, maybe you haven't. In which case, like, I don't think that's unusual either. Like, I think a lot of people, shoot, most people are probably that do this level of introspection probably are in some ways. How do you function in society then if you're in, in, in with, with this awareness? Yeah, I don't actually know anyone who thinks about these topics and these problems deeply that doesn't have some amount of depression. Hmm. Like, you can't look around at the reality you can't walk downtown and see all the people living on the street in the winter and not be touched by that like sure. you're not human if you look at the problems of the world and be like well it'll be, it'll be fine all right these guys know what they're doing probably they're orchestrating all this stuff um but then on the other hand that doesn't that doesn't seem to destroy the drive to make it better hmm. and yeah. so I think if you can just, and the other thing is like, I think everyone also swings, you know, from, um, you know, dark to light or however you want to describe that. People have good days and bad days. People right. have, um, good moods and bad moods. And you probably wouldn't have as much appreciation for the ecstatic moments. if You didn't come from the depressed moments, you know? And I think the goal is to maybe kind of shrink that down to where um, it's more manageable and balanced, right. kind of like everything. Like narrowing the pendulum swing a little. Yeah, slowing the pendulum so that it's not like in danger of looping itself all the way around. Right, but there's no stopping it because it sort of seems like... Yeah, that's the rhythm. You can't, you can't stop it, but you can try to balance it. Is that... Are you, do you think there's a way that... So I guess there's no way to break free of that cycle is maybe the best we can do is to just sort of narrow it down like, and just sort of like there's no, like maybe the key is balancing the opposites instead of trying to pick one or the other. Yeah, I don't feel qualified to answer that, but I definitely, that's what I attempt to do in my life. Right. I don't really see another way i don't see humans as not being constantly flux like that right. change is the only constant yeah well given that we're sort of on this more in tune to the changes of of life than the people who maybe just get off work and watch cnbc all day and are just literally in autopilot all the time like is there something that they can like how do people take more sovereignty of their own mind or, or, or like what are things that they can do to, again, like start that, start themselves down this path? Cause I mean, I think you're like what you said earlier about like, you know, there's no singular path to get here. You and I have probably got in this shared vision in a lot of ways and through very different paths, but like there's gotta be something there that like is sort of a enlightened, not an enlightened, I don't want to say enlightened, but like, enlightening to your awareness 
Yeah, I again, this is that question that keeps me up about desire. Um, how do you even decide that you care? <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I, I don't understand how I'm different. You know, I really struggle to understand how I'm different from other people in this regard. Um, there was nothing particularly interesting about my upbringing. I had no special education. I had no special, um, you know, opportunities that aren't available to the rest of the place that I grew up in. And yet most of the people that I grew up with probably wouldn't have as high a value of this conversation, I would say. And I don't know why. You know, I I don't understand either. That's what I'm asking. The only thing that I can think about is that, you know, I went through, you you know, again, even that's not, you know, you can talk about your background and the troubles that you've had and that you chose to overcome them and that, you know, brought you to where you are today or whatever. But like everybody has that. So, of course, I don't get this. I, I really struggle with this notion that some people seem to care more than others. And that doesn't make any sense to me because people are all from varying backgrounds and varying opportunities. And, um, some of them make sense. You can kind of understand why someone who grew up maybe, uh, spoiled and privileged may not care so much about, um, you know, the world around them, but you couldn't understand why the, the vast of the, the, the vast majority of the population who kind of are in this, um, similar, um, environment would come to vastly <laughs> different conclusions, conclusions about right. the world world that they're in and their desire to do anything about it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't, that one keeps me up. I don't, I, I don't, don't know. I don't know that we have to have the answer either. It's, uh, I think just talking about it in a way helps, helps me sort of understand whether it's maybe not the answer, but my role in, figuring it and helping figuring it out for both myself and others. And I don't know that there's a point we ever get to where we have that silver bullet enlightenment moment where we're like, Oh, I get why I'm, you know, I, I, I don't think we are, any of us are special, but yet we're all special. <laughs> yeah. And there, I have heard attempts to explain this. And one of them is that we all choose to be whatever it is that we are. And that, most people just choose to be what they are in the sense of unconscious. And then you kind of trail into this meme of the NPC. And then you can trail further into this idea that maybe not everyone here is the same. Like maybe only some of us are playing this game. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Cause why are you, you know, some people thinking about this actively and some aren't. And if you, and if you extrapolate that and you think, okay, well, let's say 5% of us are playing this game. And of that 5%, 1% not only have convinced themselves that this is true, but they've also convinced themselves that because it's true, that it is perfectly acceptable to do anything to that 95% mass of people. And that it is morally justifiable because they're not of the same uh conscious matter that that the rest of us are so going back to the topic of anarchy like when those five percent of people realize like this is is that not why anarchy can't work 
because those handful of people that think they're playing a different game than the rest, won't they capitalize on that lack of awareness from everyone else and we'll be stuck in this? Well, it's just a smaller set of the same thing, right? So if you would eliminate the 95% assuming non-consciousness, which kind of seems like a ridiculous idea, but I think it's fun to have the conversation. You're just dealing with another smaller number of people. So it's the same thing. You still have to be vigilant. You still have to care to not allow manipulation and control and um, theft of rights. Um, but when you add the 95% back in, it's like a, it's not only for the body, that body of people that have the ability to act and make conscious decisions, but it's also for the, the, um, the masses that don't have the ability to make those decisions and have to follow, you know, the shepherds or whatever you want to call that. There's a, it's almost like there's a place for both the, those who influence and those who are influenced mm. and that maybe that too is a duality that is supposed to exist. There's not a, this utopia where everyone is awake and enlightened and free or, or even wants to be free. And I'm curious actually what your, um, what your definition of freedom is. So that's a good one. So I, again, I equate anarchy and freedom. And so freedom to me is just that, that there aren't any masters, that no one has more rights. You do. Everyone has the same rights. What's a right? It's, that's a tough one too. To me, a right is anything that's not wrong. Apophatically defined in the opposite. Well, what's a wrong? Those are the things that even children understand the things that, um, end at the, at the other person, right? So you don't, um, uh, you don't take away someone's right to freely communicate with other people or, uh, right to sexually associate with who they choose or associate in general with who they choose. Uh, you don't take someone's property. You don't, um, take someone's life, which is their single most important piece of property. Um, you don't assault people, right? So you commit these violences. Violence comes from, uh, another Latin root violare, um, basically means to take, uh, so violence then is just to take something. So violation and violence are, bo are both from the same, um, same root, um, force I define a little bit differently because, you know, force is that again, a neutral thing right? You can push, you can, you can exert force on something to create, or you can exert force on something to destroy. Right. Man, <laughs> got a lot to unpack here. Um, yeah, this is, this is my mind every day. <laughs> this is how I go through the world. It's like, what, what is going on here? How did we get to this? How do we, because the other problem is like, I have this notion of an idealistic world and clearly no, like not that many people share this with me. So is it something wrong with me? Like, you know, there's, there's like all these things run through your head. Like, you know, if I'm not special and I'm the only one that thinks this, then why does this feel so right? And what I'm looking around at all feels so wrong. 
And why am I the only one that, that thinks that way? Or when I say the only one, I'm, I'm talking about the few of us that think this way. Because it is a very few. Do you think that it's getting, there are more people who share this sort of desire to understand what this all is and than there was 10, 20 years ago? And is this too maybe part of the balancing process to where like we have to be in the dark to where some people say enough's enough and wake up and exert that positive influence that then has that more profound ripple effect on others? Like, It's really hard to say because we're still developing global communication for the first time, as far as we know, as a species. Um, and so the nice thing about that is that there are more of us available to each other, but are there more? I don't know. Um, I mean, it does kind of seem like an evolutionary step to go from um, hitting each other with stones and animal bones to trying to sort out how everyone can eat and everyone yeah. can um, have abundance in a place that is abundant, which seems kind of silly, but like we haven't figured out how to economize anything. We haven't figured out how to uh, globalize needs let alone what i think is possible which is basically you know unimaginable um freedoms to uh travel the globe and, and potentially beyond um it, it seems like we're not it wouldn't take a lot of effort if enough of us took that effort to create a place that is completely unlike what uh, what we see today because of the fact that those bright lights do shine much, you know, the ripple effect of that is much broader than a, a single dark spot or that, you know, we won't refer to the term because we're not sure what it is, but like the, once a certain number of people are aware of a concept, it sort of downloads into the hive mind that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. It's like if you have a, a room and it's, you know, two, three, four thousand square feet and it's completely blacked out, no windows, and you light a single candle. Like that makes a huge difference. Theory, it's not putting off a lot of light, but you can suddenly see to some degree most of the room. Or at least you can see a great deal more of the room uh, than you would think that that little amount of energy would create. That's why we do the podcast. Help people kind of stumble across these ideas and I think it's just, there's many, many candles that have to be lit. You use that analogy in order for, for the earth's a big place, you know, got to illuminate a pretty large, large room. Um, yeah. And I mean, you've obviously come to the conclusion that, um, you know, getting the equipment to do professional broadcasting is one of the most effective ways to spread a powerful message yeah. that you really believe in. And so that's like, um, that's incorporating that whole stack and putting the willpower to behind the, the intention and everything and using modern technology. So again, everything is neutral until implemented. And I think that broadcasting across the internet is one of the most powerful tools that we have. Um, and it's like, um, you know, it's going to last potentially longer than you will. Right. So yeah. notion of planting a tree under whose shade you may never sit. Yeah. 
um, said that on an episode before. Yeah, so maybe that's it. Maybe that's that's the way to uh, to the consciousness that we're talking about is to just spread it like wildfire. Yeah, not be afraid to share what you feel. Yeah, I mean, and people want to hear it, right? Joe Rogan's more popular than every network cable television show because you know they're they're yeah yeah it's it's real. Um, it's not, you know, we've been living in this made up reality through the TV, especially if you kind of grew up in the era that I did where it's like kind of a one way (laughs) transfer of information. And suddenly we have options and you know, the tradition, the people who grew up and, and, and saw that come from radio, uh, are maybe more likely to be continuing to see that as a source of truth. Um, whereas they're young are probably like that doesn't really make as much sense to me. I'm more interested in these people that kind of talk the way I do, so on and so forth. And I get to pick instead of a thousand channels, I get an unlimited amount. Unlimited, of, right? Uh, and I can make my own. There's so. a podcast about everything, and if there isn't, you can create it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, that's that takes... third option that you didn't know existed before. Yeah, and at least for me, and presumably most people, I would say um, you kind of got to stumble through all kinds of noise in order to find what it is that you don't even realize that you're looking for. No idea what I'm looking for. (laughs) Part of the human condition. (laughs) Sure. And and yet you know exactly what you want. Right. Right. Cause I, like you said, I like the actions that I take and consistently like doing the clearly some drive to want to put some message out there. I don't even know what the message is anymore that, that I'm aiming to, to, to teach but yet i still do it right and i want to have people on the show that also have things to share because i think there's not a there isn't a singular way to have this all figured out like it's by maybe having more and more of the viewpoints you sort of see the synthesis between between them but yet still maintain that level of understanding that things can be separate, but somehow connected. Like we were talking about earlier, like there's an individual consciousness. So who's not, who am I? But then there's also the collective aspect. I feel like I'm a Bitcoiner, but I'm also uh, I'm much more than that. And like the, what you were saying about the, the bird, even like bird doesn't know you call it that it just is, but yet it lives on, does what it does. Yeah, I mean, we can learn a lot from animals, right? They they kind of live in the moment way better than we do because we've got this yeah. ability to analyze things to death. That's why I've, I feel like the human mind is in some ways like a, a curse. Like it's... Uh, well, it's neutral. It's, Again, yeah, it's, right. it can be, it's like it can weird, be whatever. Here I am trying to assign some kind of meaning to it. Maybe it just is. Yeah, it's like both a blessing and a curse. It allows us to have this conversation, to be aware of itself. But yet at the same time, the incessant chatter that goes on within, within the mind can, you know, I guess if you identify with it too much can lead to really that's where the dysfunction happens. That's how you, you can't manage yourself in a larger society. And there's extremes to that duality too, right? So you've got um, aestheticism where you'll have 
monks that don't want to disturb the natural world. And so they find a cave, they dust off one spot, they meditate there until they die. It might be a lot longer than you would think without eating and drinking. But to me, that's still, you know, it, it's an interesting choice and I can't make any judgments on that choice. But to me, um, I want to be more on the action side and you can take that all the way to the extreme of trying to control other people's actions. Even if you have positive intentions, you're like, well, I need to control your actions because uh, my control of your actions uh, will lead make to you better. better. Well, for the whole, right. That's mm. always the argument is that it's for the, for the, for the better, good. for the common good. Um, and that's the, the cause of all tyranny is, is I'm going to make it <laughs> better intentions. for everybody. Yeah. So there's, there's these two extremes as well. And so for me, it's about finding a balance of, um, trying not to disturb everyone else, but also, you know, trying to share what I've come to understand. I want to close with a question. Morphs as a takeaway. We've talked about not just the realization of the impact that we can make, maybe a realization of our responsibility once we have that realization to, to do something about it. What it for just, you know, the people who might be listening to this, like what's something that you want them to know? Just, I mean, broad as broad as it can be, like something that you think would help them or maybe the whole, maybe not them as an individual, but them as a whole, like what is something that you would like to put out into the world? Yeah, I would say that, you know, you matter and you are somewhere and you have something, you know, you can take that however you want. You are in an apartment, you are alive, you are whatever, and you have relationships or you have, um, goods and services that you provide or whatever you have a skill and you have to do whatever it is that you choose to do from where you are with what you have. And so if someone's thinking about this conversation, you're like, this is depressing. I don't think I can fix this. Like, you're right. But if you also think, or if you instead think, uh, this is depressing, I could maybe change the way that this happens in my life a little bit, or I could maybe teach this person that's important to me about this thing that I understand or the skill that I have, I can teach to someone else that happening on a broader scale is the solution. Right. Right. So I think that's all I would have to say. It's like you matter and you have something that everyone else doesn't, even though you have the same things that everyone else has. I like that. That's a, a comforting thought. I think I saw a sticker that you had that said you matter. Unless you energy. Well, subscribers matter too. So, um, helps us uh, get the message out there more. So, um, yeah, man, this was a, did not expect this conversation to go this way, but I, I really enjoyed it and we've talked a bunch, but I think this is a unique in its own right. And, um, yeah, takeaways, you do matter. And I think we're all here for sounds trite, but I think we're all here for a reason gone crazy trying to figure out what that reason is so i'm just kind of <laughs> going with it now yeah maybe you figure it out on the way and 
And if you don't, then the journey was what was important. So maybe the journey is all that is the reason. Is the reason. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you guys for listening. This has been season three, episode one of Value Stack Podcast with David Croissant. Is that a, how do you say it? Croissant? So, croissant. My dad said croissant. Croissant. And clearly, this comes from the, the, the name comes from Alsace, which is a currently a French territory, but historic, historically kind of uh, uh, independent slash German. They spoke German as well as their own language, Alsatian. Uh, and so I've kind of adopted using the colloquial American, which is also not what they would have said, but colloquial American of the way that you would say the breakfast pastry. And Dave, where uh, if, if someone really resonated with what you said and doesn't have to even be your own work, but like would be curious to like share, like how, how can people find more about, cause I know you're pretty private online. So like how, how can people go stumble down this path and just things they can read, things they can look up on the internet. And that's kind of loaded. Cause I can, uh, there's a lot I can give there and it's all from my perspective. Right. So sure. I, I came philosophical kind of world learning about anarchy and things of that nature first, but uh, that may not be for everybody. I, I don't know where, um, influential works that you've read that. Yeah. I mean, so, uh, this t-shirt I'm wearing is from a guy, uh, his website, uh, a guy named Mark Pas Mark Passio. And he's a student teacher of natural law. Uh, his website, what on earth is happening.com is for me kind of put all these different things that I'd been learning together into a framework that uh -huh. I could kind of use this um, notion of natural law is how I operate on a daily basis. Um, and so to me, that was like brought everything together from all these different realms. Cause like a lot of, especially Bitcoin folks will, have learned a lot about a lot of different subjects and they will have all come to kind of Bitcoin as the connection. Yeah. Well, they're, you know, they see, um, free exchange is important and they don't see free exchange as important unless they see like freedom or other philosophies. Other concepts, yeah. So right. this stuff might all come together for them. Uh, and in the same way, the way that, um, I had all these other notions kind of cemented in my head of how I understood the world. Uh, they were separated from each other until I started to understand natural law. And so I would, I'd send people to his work. Um, uh, I'll probably produce some content at some point, but it's not much out there right now. Well, this is content that you're in. So thank you for coming on carving out part of the afternoon. And uh, yeah, if you enjoy the episode, subscribe or not, it doesn't even matter. It's going to get out there one way or the other. So. Uh, but thank you for listening. And Dave, thanks for sharing your thoughts, man. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it.